When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, one of the best things you found, Tim, is this Rock King, Salt King thing and how it mirrors the Lange God Empress practice of taking two husbands, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, because the idea with the Rock King and the Salt King originally is that one, the Rock King would rule from the would rule from inland. He'd be the one to make laws, dispense justice, and all that. And the Salt King was the one who would rule from sea. He'd be the one making all the decisions where we're going to sail out to. And anytime like a problem arose while they're out at sea, then the Salt King's the one making the decision. But then this kind of works with the let with the Lengi. Uh, after Lang like regains its independence from yt but there's already so many yt-ish people living on the island the god empress is a way of keeping the peace takes two husbands one of yt descent and one of pure langi descent and so you have two king consorts there one of them the first consort commands the armies while the second commands the fleets so it's like One's in charge of the army, one's in charge of the navy. The idea is that one's ruling from the land and one's ruling from the sea, the same way a salt king and a rock king of old would. And that's really a great parallel, Tim, and a perfect segue into the next section that I have about the salt and the rock kings. Because not only do we see that idea, and we also see Ironborn taking two wives, salt and rock wives. Okay, it's a little sort of inverse of that. The salt and rock kings, Tim... I believe, just like the Lange setup, is the result of a power-sharing agreement between two cultures that ended up merging on the same island, or sets of islands. So, again, the reason why the God Empress takes two husbands is because there are two different people that she governs. And so taking those two husbands is a good way to bring about cultural unity. It's just like the practice in Westeros of, like, fostering the kids with each other and intermarrying between the royal houses. Same idea. So rock kings and salt kings. Well, aren't we talking about the Ironborn as a combination, you guys are going to like this, between ancient mariners and landlubber first men. And so what do we find? The first thing we find in Ironborn history everywhere across the Iron Islands is that every island has a king of the land and a king of the sea. So where did this custom come from? Perhaps it dates back to the time when we had mariners and land-based first men blending their culture. And we would have needed a power-sharing agreement that honored both land and sea power. And that's what we find on the Iron Islands. So once that jumped out to me, I was like, oh, that's where this comes from. The first men are the rock kings. And the ancient mariners are the salt kings, at least at first. Now, over time, obviously, they're intermarrying and the bloodlines are mingling a bit and stuff. But you can see where the custom would have come from. So, Tim, this quote here in red that I will ask you to read next. 
is what the maesters present as the more solid history and instead of all this mumbo-jumbo about a gray king who wore seaweed robes and slew sea monsters and made lots of really awesome furniture, by the way. The driftwood stuff. There's We got furniture made out of sea dragon jaws. We've got pearl thrones and starfish tables. He's, he's quite the furniture maker, that, that gray king. But the maesters say that history tells a different tale. So... The oldest surviving records at the Citadel reveal that each of the Iron Islands was once a separate kingdom, ruled by not one, but two kings, a rock king and a salt king. The former ruled the island itself, dispensing justice, making laws, and settling disputes. The, la the latter commanded at sea whenever and wherever the island's longship sailed. Surviving records suggest that the rock kings were almost always older than the salt kings. In some cases, the two were father and son which has led some to argue that the Salt Kings were no more than heirs, crown princes to their fathers. Yet there are other instances known to us where the Rock King and Salt King were of different houses, sometimes even rival houses, known to be inamicable to one another. Elsewhere in Westeros, petty kings claimed crowns of gold by virtue of their birth and blood, but the driftwood crowns of the Ironborn were not so easily won. Here alone in all of Westeros, men made their own kings, assembling in great councils called king's moots to choose the rock kings and salt kings who would rule over them. Whenever a king died, the priests of the drowned god would call a king's moot to choose his successor. Every man who owned and captained a boat was allowed a voice at these unruly gatherings, which often went on for days, and in a few instances, far longer. So there's a lot here, and we're going to go back through this quote and, and, and reference several parts of it. As with most things in Ice and Fire, the truth lies in some combination of the Maester's drier history and these legends, which we know always contain some amount of truth. And so here's what I think. We're told that the Grey King ruled over the Iron Islands for a thousand years and seven, sometime in the distant past. And then, then there was this orgy of kinslaying war, his hundred sons, whittled down to 16 and that these survivors divided up the Iron Islands. So I think that the Grey King, that thousand years or whatever, must represent the first era of unified civiliz civilization between the Mariners and the First Men. There must have been a time when, as legend says, the Grey King ruled over the entire Iron Islands as a cohesive nation. Whether it was an archipelago, not archipelago, I've been corrected, archipelago, or an isthmus, which is hard to say, even if you know how to say it. So I think that's what happened, is, is essentially there was the first kingdom, and that is this Grey King era. This kinslaying war must have been the disintegration of that empire. His sons, a hundred sons that fought, that probably weren't his literal sons, they were probably more like sons of the empire. And one of the ways that we can tell this is by the math involved. There's 16 kings left. Now, Tim, in the Iron Island Archipelago, the main archipelago, there are seven. And then there's the Lonely Light, which is the eighth big island. The Lonely Light has some very tiny ones around it. And there's other little islets and stuff. But there are eight main Iron Islands. And each island has two kings. Eight times two is 16. So why are there 16 kings? that divide up the Iron Islands? Well, because that's one salt and rock king for every island. 
Thus, the Grey King's sons are revealed as just the first kings of the new division of power. And the whole thing where it's like, ah, dividing up the empire, you know, dividing up the Iron Islands. So, yeah, it sounds like kind of like the aftermath of someone like Genghis Khan or Alexander the Great, where their sons and generals, who are sometimes the same thing, divide up this huge empire that's really too big to exist in perpetuity into sub, you know, they were the Khanates after Genghis Khan. And then after Alexander the Great, his generals divided up his various conquerings and became new countries and empires and things. So it seems like a similar thing where there's a unified kingdom, then there's a kinslaying war, meaning the Ironborn killing Ironborn, which we know is a big cultural thing. At times, it's forbidden for Ironborn to kill each other. So this kinslaying war, it is a kinslaying war because it's Ironborn killing Ironborn, which is a a very significant cultural taboo. So this is the time when everybody turned on each other, the empire crumbles, and out of the rubble, each island emerges with two kings, and that thus we get the 16th. So looks like reading Rhaegar has put a note here in the in the in the uh, draft, and he says that um, these stories aren't literal, Tim. <laughs> so what what do you think of that analysis? That, that makes the most sense because if we if we were to take every take everyone at their word, then every Ironborn house, save for House Good Brother, claims descent from Great King, the same way that every major Reach house claims descent from Garth the Green. The idea that like not that this is actually what's happening is like no it, it can't be literal it's the same way how in real life real life kings and emperors claim divinity like a uh, japanese emperor for example they finagle a way that they can claim that they come from amaterasu uh, sorry if i'm butchering the name of that but the idea is like no you in reality it's like you can't come from a literal god like that's that's just that's that's not happening but it's the but you have this myth and folklore and then as time goes by, it be, just be kind of becomes accepted because there's really no, like, well, what other explanation do you have? I don't know. I guess fine. Maybe you come, maybe you come from Grey King. That's, and I believe it was Sandor Clegane, like, leaves that line of, like, it's a great trick because nobody can, it's so long ago that nobody can prove you wrong. Yeah, and the main thing is um, kind of like the idea that Illyrio says Danny's dragon's eggs are from a shy. We always doubted that, and then we eventually found out they weren't. They're from Westeros via, you know, uh, Alyssa Farman or whatever. But I've always made the point is that the lie tells the truth, is that people, dragon's eggs do come from a shy. It's a place that people would believe that dragon's eggs might come from. What does that tell you? That dragons come from a shy. And elsewhere, Danny refers to that idea, too. So it's the same thing here. Like, not all these people descend from the Grey King, but claiming descent from the Grey King's people, his bloodline is important. So probably that just refers to having ties to the ancient mariners as opposed to one individual Grey King. But either way, yeah, it's like you want to claim descent from Genghis Khan if you're trying to run a Mongol Connate, for sure. You want that. You, you need that authenticity, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that tells us the truth about, about the Grey King and the Ironborn. So, the survivors of the Kinslaying War would include both survivors that were 
descended from the first men and survivors from the Mariner culture. And so the Salt King Rock King arrangement makes a ton of sense. Each island, not only would they have survivors from both cultures, they would value both land and sea power because you don't want to get raided by the pirates from the other islands. You need your own pirates, okay? Um, and you have them, and they already have boats. You know what I mean? So, like, when we imagine a unified empire of the Grey King, again, we don't know how, how broken up the land was or whatever, but the boats are everywhere. And so the, the people who survived whatever disasters, a lot of them probably survived in their boats, quite frankly. Like, a lot of the land was destroyed. It might have been some of the people that were out to sea somewhere that survived, much like at uh, Pompeii, for example. The idea that the survivors emerge with these power-sharing agreements and the same one all over the islands, that's another piece of evidence that they must all share a common cultural or origin. Because listen what the maesters are saying. Oh, all the islands are independent of each other, ruled separately, but in the exact same way. So clearly they had a shared cultural heritage. And then when, the, when this empire fragmented, they, they kept a lot of the same practices because they're the same people from the same place. And they all have mariners and they all have first men. I think the tradition probably goes back to the Grey King era itself, Tim. Because the Grey King is ruling over two people, just like the God Empress of Lang. So probably he was like the High King, and each island or area, perhaps, would have had sub-kings, local rulers. And so then in the fallout from the empire, they probably just kept that arrangement. Or it could be that they came up with that arrangement after the disintegration of the empire. But either way, it, the, the explanation makes sense that it is the result of these two people that were zipping up into one culture. Yeah, and that's because if we think ancient mariners coming from the Great Empire, especially if they're coming from the Empire after it's after the Empire had fallen, then we're talking a group of people who already have experience with this exact situation and would be like, you know, we've tread we I've I've sung this song before. I know how the lines go. This is how we're gonna do it right this time. And then, as you said, like some of the survivors might have been out on boats. Like that is a story we see in other areas. Like uh, when the Doom of Valyria happens, I'm blanking on the name, but there's this one guy, he, he was out at Kohor, and then he gets the news that Valyria is destroyed and he, he, he declares himself the emperor. And then he flies off on his dragon and leads an army and he's never to be seen again. But again, he survived the Doom because he was away from home. And then the Ironborn have their own have their own story with this which is Torgan the latecomer uh he's off raiding when his father dies he misses the king's moot and it's because of that that he survives the massacre of Urathon bad brother when he kills everyone at that king's moot yeah shout out Orion that's Orion the first and last emperor of Valeria he's he's a good one but yes that's that's a great a perfect parallel oh, so that's oh, Orion. That, that, so that's another name that's really close to Euron, yep, Uron, Urathon, Orion. Yeah, it's another Euron name. Yep. Yeah, well, I think I've talked before about the Orion-Euron parallels. Absolutely. Because Euron is trying to be a Valerian and a god emperor. He, that's exactly what he is going for. So he flew off on his dragon and was never seen again. And so I said, 
this sounds like him losing his mind and like him never being seen again, like upstairs, perhaps. Or maybe he fl- his story ends in the north, like he's attempts to take control of the others or he's body snatched by the great other. But the story that people say about Euron is he, he flew north on his dragon and was never seen again. That might be like what, what people say. So getting back to this bit about the Salt and the Rock Kings, my theory about it explains a lot of things. Okay, so let's consider the details that are given to us about the Salt King, Rock King thing. Again, we find it all over the Iron Islands that indicates a common cultural origin. The war would fragment that kingdom, but everyone would still share this, the old customs and culture, and they would make a lot of sense. So that's what we see. Now, we're told that the Salt and Rock Kings are often from opposing houses, Well, that's how this started, actually, was that the Salt and Rock Kings are from different cultures who may have had some conflict at first that they needed to work out and settle as they culturally merged. We know that's usually got some bumps in it, right? So that's that's why they're from opposing houses is because they are literally from different peoples. And even if they intermarry a bit, they still retain the sense that like we are from this, you know, we're the ship people and we're the mining rock people or whatever. So then it says that the Salt Kings were sometimes the sons and heirs of the Rock Kings. That could be for two reasons or both. One, the sons of the first men, the Rock Kings, would have been learning to sail from the Mariners. That's what the Grey King story is about. The Mariners teaching the first men, Ironborn, how to sail and weave nets and make longships. So some of the children and descendants of these older first men kings would have been learning how to sail and marrying into the lines of the mariners, okay? And also, the first man culture is older. It was there first. The mariners are the newcomers. They are the inheritors of this land. And so much in the way that it's like uh, the sons of the Grey King are actually sons of the Empire, the idea that like the Rock Kings are older could just refer to the idea that they're from the older culture. Simple as that. So it all explain like anytime we're given these little random details, like, oh, well, Pike, people argue about if it's named after the land or if the land's named after the castle. When George tells us something like that, it's a mystery that's there to be solved. And so whatever theory we come up with should explain those little details in a satisfying way that makes you go, ah, okay. And that doesn't mean it's right. It just means it's potentially a good theory. Any good theory needs to offer an explanation for those details. So here, this idea that salt and rock kings goes back to mariners and first men, it lines up with all of these details really well in a satisfying way. Don't you think so, Tim? Yeah. And like you said, like, and it helps when you have when you can be able to point to something else in if it's not in the story, then at least point to the reference that it was lifted from. Now with Iron Islands, we do have we do have two points of references: Stepstones, Thousand Islands. We know that earth-shattering events have happened that have turned land pieces into what were once big land masses into islands. So the idea that it happened here at the Iron Islands that if it already happened in two places, the idea that happened that it happened at a third isn't isn't out there. Isn't that like far that that far fetched? It makes sense within the confines of the story. And then when you connect it to also more of this Lovecraft stuff, and then you connect it to the idea of another empire following falling out in the east, great empire, 
and refugees looking to get away from that. And then I always bring up the, the three islands that uh, Alyssa Farwin discovered, the, the, the ship stop islands, the one with the pigs and the fruit. Like those, those all serve those all serve a purpose. Like they wouldn't be there for no reason. And the key is then connecting the dots, connecting these island chains. Well said, very well said. Um, the, it's a very good way to operate with theories is to look for these precedents. George specifically writes that way. He gives us those puzzle pieces in other places. Like the Thousand Islands are constantly something we should be looking at with the Ironborn. And moving on to our next section, it's time for some history, some hardcore history. Galen Whitestaff, very interesting fellow. The beginning of recorded history is 16 kings, one for each island, which, by the way, implies that uh, the Lonely Light Islands were always a part of the Iron Islands Empire, at least from this era. And it wasn't that they were later discovered from Ironborn wandering out and finding them, but rather they were probably settled by the ancient mariners finding them on their way to the Iron Islands. So they would have been mm -hmm. the first place that the Great Empire of the Dawn left a little colony before they ever reached the Iron Islands. And that's why there would be 16 kings, you know, two for each island if you include the Lonely Light. It would have been included already at this point. And the whole, I love that Lonely Light theory that it was settled by the Mariners on the way there. And that's so the Farwinds, the point is that the Farwinds are weird mm -hmm. because they are closer to the original Great Empire of the Dawn people the tar and the farwins tim to your point are very tall and they have color changing eyes just as the great empire of the dawn emperors all have these different gemstone eyes driftwood kings so at some point in history along comes the first round prophet galen whitestaff and he unifies the ironborn for the first time since the gray king he held the first king's moot under the arch of naga's bones which was formerly the gray king's hall uh, just as all King's Moots since have been. Tim, will you read this quote? It was Galen who decreed that Ironborn must not make war on other Ironborn, who forbade them to carry off each other's women or raid each other's shores, and who forged the Iron Islands into a single kingdom, summoning the captains and the kings to Old Wick to choose a high king to reign supreme over salt kings and rock kings alike. Yes, one king to rule them all. Galen Weistaff is the one who calls the first king's moot, as we would know it. He gathers at a place of his authority, now considered holy. Yes, because they gather at Old Wick. They gather there because of Naga's bones. That's and so the 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 mix of Naga's bones being there and this being the first big king's moot called by a drowned priest. This is why Old Wick now becomes a holy a holy place. And then yeah, Old Wick is old town means old town. And our old town is where both the citadel and the the faith. Um, what what is what's exactly the name of the the Starry Sept? The Starry Sept. Thank you. Yeah. The and the point I'm making here is that clearly Galen Whitestaff is leaning heavily on the traditions of the Grey King when he invents this tradition of the King's Moot. Or we really might say, where did he get the King's Moot? It was cobbled together from the memory of the Grey King's traditions. So we're gathering at the place of his authority, which is considered holy now. We're wearing driftwood crowns, such as he was said to wear. And of course, I think that the legends of the Grey King's driftwood crown really refers to a weirwood, throne, a weirwood crown, but we'll talk about that another time. The point is, 
The driftwood crowns are in emulation of the Grey King. And then we no longer kill one another. The taboo on killing other ironborn. This harkens back to the era when everyone was unified in one kingdom. And in order to unify the First Men and the Mariners, the Grey King would have had to stop whatever killing and conflict would have been happening and create traditions that unified everyone. So this is where I get back to saying the idea of each island having a salt and a rock king and then having one high king that rules over them, that's what Galen Whitestaff created, but he may have just been recreating what the Grey King did, where he ruled as a high king over salt and rock kings from first from each culture in you know, as governors, essentially. So this all fits together to me. And I've even wondered, Tim, if there's some reverse flow of history here where Galen Whitestaff is a historical figure whose deeds became part of the Grey King legend. So it's hard to say whether Galen Whitestaff created all this Kingsmooth stuff just by copying the Grey King, or we think the Grey King did all these things because the things that Galen did are, are blurring together with the Grey King mm -hmm. mythology. And this is the sort of ambiguity that George doesn't even have resolved in his own mind, potentially. He just loves to present it to us. But yeah, Galen is carrying a weirwood slash Naga's Fang staff. And this also harkens back to the Grey King, who's using all these Naga's bones, uh, weirwood magic. So there you have it. Yeah. Yeah, and Gal Galen kind of, he reads like a prophet in that way. And if he might have been someone who just came across this old, who came across these stories of this older history and decided, well, this actually seems to work. We should probably try this again. And he kind of has that shepherd aspect to him, too. The shepherd who comes later during the Dance of the Dragons. He's trying to, because the shepherd's goal is like, well, we should return to a time before the dragons came when he's trying to make it like when that the High Septon should be in charge. Like, that's the way things used to be uh, before all before the Targaryens, before all these kings, especially like in Old Town and stuff, that, the, that it was more the High Septon who had more of a direct rule rather than this power sharing that they have now. And then also again, like when we get here to the next part, um, Galen being the one to crown the first winner of the King's Moot is more power sharing, sort sort of like the Rock King and Soul King, only here it's more of a political and religious arrangement. And it's the idea of the Pope crowning the emperor. That's George drawing on his Catholic faith. Yeah, and interesting, the first King appointed by Galen Whitestaff, he should probably also parallel the Grey King. And sure enough, his name is Grey Iron. Mm. Eurus Grey Iron. Interesting. So Eurus is another Euron kind of name. But also, the, all the Euron and Eurathon names, we always think of Euron Crozai, but we should also think of Eurathon Hightower, Eurgon Hightower, rather. Yes, it's Eurgon. The son of Uthor Hightower is Uragon. Right, Ergon High, yeah, Ergon High Tower, son of Uthor the High Tower. He's the one who establishes the citadel in honor of his brother Paramore. Paramore who had the twisted, all the, yeah, Paramore had all the physical disabilities. That name is probably a great Empire of the Dawn name. That's the only reason you'd find it in both places, because the son of Uthor High Tower. That's basically an ancient Mariner, first generation descendant. So there you go. So this is why I'm saying these early Ironborn with these names that are variants 
of Uthor and Uragon is probably telling us like these are great Empire of the Dawn names that are present in the early days of both of these ancient Mariner derived cultures. It's really delightful. And of course, Euron, he's imitating the Grey King and the ancient Mariners because he sailed from Ashai to Westeros, which is exactly what the Grey King did. He went the other way. But the point is, there's a lot of parallels. And the big one is coming from a shy with magic and a weird ship and then unifying the Ironborn into a new mm-hmm. kind of nation. That's what Euron is doing. So it's yeah. a lot so of parallels. Another thing I want to point out, it's not in the notes, but I think it's important to note that Urus Greyarn was also a salt king before he won the king's moot. So that would mean he was the first king, the first high king since the great king was a mariner king, not the land king. Salt King won the first king, yeah. And I tend to think that the drowned priest tradition is more first man associated because, again, the first men are associated with the Deep One contact before the Mariners ever come. And I believe the whole drowned priest thing, all of their traditions derive from the Deep One contact, the drowning, worshiping the sea, getting psychic suggestions from the sea. That's all Deep One stuff. So when you have a driftwood priest, I mean, a drowned priest crowning a salt king that is a first man priest crowning a mariner king. And that is what I think happened with the Grey King too. But we'll get to the good brother thing. And the good brother thing is awesome. I love the good brother. Okay, but we'll save that. So yeah, take over here, Tim. Eurus Grey Iron, chosen as yeah, the so first Eurus- man since the Grey King. So mm-hmm. what happens next? But uh, after Urus passes, his crown is seized by his son, Eric. And he, Eric tries to crown himself. Now, Galen comes out. Galen's old. He's half blind and half mad. But he comes out shrieking, waving his beaten stick like, I'm not having this. And Eric submits. He breaks his cra- He breaks the driftwood crown and throws it into a sea. And this is to symbolize him submitting to the drowned god. And Galen calls another king's moot like no this isn't hereditary your dad died that's a shame but we're gonna have another election but this is the first attempt at subverting the drowned priests in their king making galen's still around to put to to put an end to that and say nope 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 we're doing we're doing this again but again like this is the first time it happens and then it's when after galen after we lose galen after he passes that's when the cracks will start to form in the drowned priest's king-making abilities. So parallels all the way. Because after Grey King, remember, comes the kinslaying war. And so here mm-hmm. there's a very weak parallel where after this first Eurus Grey Iron King, there's instability that has to be settled by the, mm-hmm. by the priest. So interesting there. Then the king's mood tradition continues with other houses winning at times. Drum, Greyjoy, Harlaw, Blacktide and Grey Iron. When the King's Moots were ended some thousand years before the arrival of the Andals, we see the Ironborn breaking all these traditions that are tied to the Grey King and Galen Whitestaff and descending back into the horrors of Ironborn, Ironborn, Ironborn on Ironborn violence. So every time, Tim, every time that they drift away from the Driftwood King tradition, they go towards civil war and strife. And when they go back towards the traditions of the Grey King, it's associated with either a unified kingdom or at the very least, not killing one another. So 
This is what I'm trying to highlight throughout all this history is there's this vacillation between the two cultural traditions. King's moot democracy, which we have to assume comes from the gray king and his era and the idea of just raw barbaric violence, which comes from the first men who were barbaric. They took thralls. They warred on each other. We know what the first men were like. They were brutal. They slaughtered children of the forest. They raped and killed. They, they did all that. And obviously, they're just people. There's a range of them. But in general, they were a pretty barbaric people. That's who they were. The, and specifically, the thrall taking is a very strong custom in this area, as we'll discuss, and became entrenched in ironborn culture. So, yeah, it's like two poles of cultural ideas. This sort of unified king's mood democracy that comes from old wick and the more barbaric first man violent culture. And it's pretty consistent. So um, keep going with the history here with the good brother and the bad brother. Yeah. But it's another it's another true to real world history thing is sometimes you have so when you have the power sharing between the political and the religion, when you have the emperor and the pope and one gets his power from the other. Sometimes you have a strong emperor and a weak pope. Sometimes you have a strong pope and a weak emperor. Here in this case, we had strong king, strong pope, Urus and Galen, and they both seem to work together. But when one dies, if the next person to replace them isn't up to snuff, that's when these cracks start forming. And we don't get, and unfortunately for the drowned priests, we don't get a second Galen. Nobody comes to his level in keeping the religion strong. So then, yeah, good brother and bad brother. But that is why, and- real quick, that is why Aaron is kind of such a throwback. Like, he's inspired yeah. by people like Galen Whitestaff, and that's sort of the role he's stepping into or trying to. Yeah, he's trying to be, like, the second coming of Galen, but Euron, but Euron is, like, his Achilles heel and all of that. If anyone else won the king's moot, he would have been a strong priest guiding them and probably would have been a good Galen figure, but the guy to win was the one person he couldn't rein in. Well, no one can question Aaron's faith or determination. <laughs> um, yes. So go ahead. Uh, tradition ends with Urathon good brother. So yeah, Urathon good brother. And then we got to remember Urathon Nightwalker, which is probably uh, Euron's fake ID that he's using in Karth after the death of King Aragon, the third gray iron. A king's mood is hurriedly called by his younger sons, and they're hoping to usurp their older brother, Torgan, while he was away raiding. Unfortunately for the Grey Iron boys, they don't win as well. They lose in the king's mood. They lose to Urathon, good brother. And then Urathon, in his first decree, has all of his opponents killed. This is the beginning of the two-year reign of Urathon, bad brother. So... There's the obvious Euron symbolism because what is Euron among the Greyjoy boys? He is the bad brother. And we've seen like Euron has already had people. uh, It's Sawain Botley. He has him drowned in a cask of seawater for questioning him. Uh, He's already killing other Ironborn. And then even his gifts, Euron's gifts are poison. His gifts of the Shield Islands is really just a way of him cutting out political opponents. Well, Ed Euron has also killed two of his brothers and might be mm-hmm. set up to kill Aaron. So Three. this is a parallel to the sons of the Grey King who killed one another. 
and another fellow coming up. But yeah, it's consistent with, like I said, drifting back towards Ironborn on Ironborn violence, which is brotherly violence. So whether it's literal brothers or just Ironborn on Iron, it's the same idea. So carry on. Yeah. So, but after those two years, so Torgan Greyiron eventually returns and he declares the king's mood invalid because he wasn't able to place his own claim. And this is where we have our possible foreshadowing for what Theon's story is going to be. Theon was not present to make his claim because everyone thought he was dead. The fake out for Theon's death before he comes back and dances reek. It's one of the, like the great literary moments, but yeah, he he never got a chance to play he never got a chance to play a claim. So And the, his, the clue about like, that Morgan. is that um Tris Botley mentions uh Torgan the latecomer in front of Asha and Asha has a moment where she's like, Oh, you've given me an idea, but then the action moves on before they can give it any attention. But this is the idea is that oh Theon technically wasn't there and can be used to legally displace Euron. Or if Euron is dies, Theon can just simply claim the, the, the throne. Yeah. Now, one thing Theon could do is, and it's what I think Theon would do, is that Theon would probably use this precedent of Torgan to make a claim, but then he'll probably... He might win a king's move, but then abdicate and hand it over to and claim like give make Asha his heir, and that oh, might the, be the like the expanse, the expanse ending. Yeah, <laughs> if you will. Is that, is that how it ends? Expanse. Uh, I'm sure George has watched that show. <laughs> He's a big nerd. Um, but yeah, Torgan. So, but Torgan, for his part, he he uh, claims that it's invalid after the two year blood spree that is Urathon's reign people aren't too happy with him so they're willing to they're willing to uh, hitch their you know hitch themselves to this wagon so uh Urathon bad brother and he's hacked to pieces by his own men which again might be another possibly a Euron thing I don't know I think Euron's gonna be mind melted but his crew revolting against him is always a pot that's always the possibility well hacked to pieces then, could be a metaphor for a brain that's hacked to pieces yeah, too. Mind, whatever, obliter you know. mind obliteration, drown yeah, or drowning it symbolically drowning in your own head. Yeah. Uh Torgan Grayarn rules for 40 years, but he never officially wins a king's moot. So this is where we start to see like these cracks in the drown priest control are are starting. He he declares the king's moot invalid, but he doesn't call a new one to actually win. He just says no this this doesn't count but then he takes over without calling a new one so <laughs> how do, so the question becomes well how does yours count then either <laughs> so this crack in the drowned priest control leads directly to yet another euron parallel by the name of euron redhand who is my personal favorite ironborn king uh one of them i guess i don't know uh but yeah he's cool so he declares his own son torgon does to be his heir which is not how it works. Um, so no king's moot, no priest like Galen is around to call foul. And so we get the reign of Euragon Grey Iron. Now when Euragon Grey Iron, and Euragon, that's the guy whose name is directly parallel to Euragon Hightower. There's one of the Greyjoy brothers is Yuri. Is that Euragon too? He, it is Euragon, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and also like Euragon, yeah, this, just the parallels here are interesting 
because Uragon is he's the son of the high tower, so he's like one of these first generations of mariners. And this Ur- this Uragon here is going to lead directly to the Euron parallel, and then actual Euron has a brother called Uragon. So it just tells you like the Grey King and all of those people are from the same era as those first high towers. Like there's just a lot of parallels. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So in World of Ice and Fire, it kind of just it glosses over Aragon Grey Iron. It kind of just says like his 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 reign was stable but undistinguished. So that's kind of like he just seems it's just like a throwaway line, but it, the important thing is leading us to then his heir, which is Uron Redhand. Uragon dies and he declares his great nephew, I guess that's his living descendant of the best candidacy to be his successor. The priests are determined not to be undermined for a third time. And so they send word to the kings and captains to assemble on Old Wick and hold another king's moot. Euron, the red hand, responds. Well, he, cut, he shows up to the king's moot and looses his axemen. And all the assembled captains, including 13 kings and 50 priests, are killed. So that, and it even says Naga's ribs run red with blood, which p- potentially has symbolic import. But it's a very, this is like one of the biggest atrocities in Ironborn history, perhaps the worst one. Like that's that's how it's yeah. viewed as. So yeah, that's why I even had to put Uron, Euron, come on. It's like it's it's right it's right there. The parallels are right there and the story's right itself. Like this, this is what's happening now for Euron's, at least we can say for Euron's part, he didn't outright kill everyone as soon as the King's moot was over. He has other plans for people. But again, just like how I had said when I painted the scene about Euron possibly being drowned, it's definitely not out of character for him to do exactly what Red Hand did if it were to suit him, if it were to propel him towards what he needs so yeah i mean it kind of makes you like ah well what is coming for euron so what happens next these are tim's notes again i've Mm -hmm. i've modified them slightly so tim has written that the gray iron dynasty were firmly established until the coming of the andals i added the parenthetical (laughs) which is that the gray (laughs) iron dynasty was firmly established as fascist kings of the ironborn until the coming of the Andals. <laughs> because again, the King's Moots represent a certain level of democracy. Everyone gets together and make their case and they argue and they choose. So kind of, you know, don't take it too literally, but yeah, the fascist kings, of totalitarian kings of the Ironborn, if you will. So uh, the Driftwood Kings, they now become Iron Kings. So again, these, these poles, right? The Driftwood Kings, pro-democracy, Driftwood crown. Then we go back towards the brutal first men ways. They do away with the driftwood crown and they wear iron crowns just to sort of symbolize their opposition to the driftwood customs. Euron the Red Hand, he actually stops wearing the driftwood crown and he takes up one in favor of black iron. Euron does the same thing. It does say that he is awarded the driftwood crown at the King's Moot. However, we then later see him wearing a black iron crown, which is ornamented with shark's teeth. So he's doing the same thing of going from driftwood over to this more brutal black iron idea, the Iron Kings, who are not afraid of killing other ironborn, not afraid of worshiping the storm god and just doing everything wrong. 
defying all the Grey King traditions. Um, and then also the idea of Euron having shark's teeth on the crown seems like a parallel to the Grey King's crown being made of Naga's fangs, don't you think? It's probably yeah. even meant to be that. Like, that's probably why Euron yeah. did it. Yeah, without a, without a dragon or some kind of sea beast, a shark would be like the next best thing. Exactly. So this is, we're moving on to Euron parallels here. And then we've already talked about some of this, but let's real quick. Euron is doing the crown shift, like Euron Redhand. Um, like the Grey King's sons, he's killing, he's killed some of his brothers. Uh, like Euron Grey Iron, he's killed several other Ironborn lords. You mentioned that. He's also set to sacrifice priests, just like the Red Hand killed priests and kings at this king's mm -hmm. moot, including Aaron. And Aaron is both a brother and a priest. And this is all, of course, in the upcoming battle at Old Town. So this is why Aaron says that Euron is not a godly man. He's No, he's not. He's basically declaring himself the Antichrist, like I said. So I've already made the point of this paragraph. I was saying, however, okay, so... Some of my best writing from the original essay I have preserved. So I was just saying that the vacillation between this, these two poles probably represents the two cultures that went into making the Ironborn since the democratic notions of unity come from Old Wick and the Grey King traditions. Now, I'm not saying the Mariners were total peacenik hippies, but we do know, again, the first men, quite barbarous, practiced thraldom, and are not known for anything resembling democracy anywhere else. That's the key point. Except for the Night's Watch, who vote for their leaders. But the Night's Watch traditions, Tim, come from the children of the forest. And the elections are rigged by the Green Seers and the Ravens, as we have seen. So, not as, quite as much democracy as it appears at first. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. But yeah, the King's Mood is a very unique tradition. So just like the maritime skill that is unique among all first men, so too is the King's Mood democracy. And the maesters call that out. They say there's nothing like that anywhere else. So very cool. Your thoughts, or are we just moving on? No, I think we covered. I think we can move on. We did. We covered. Yeah. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.